Well, before we kind of dive into the passage today, I wanted to let you know, those of you who weren't here, that yesterday for about six hours or so, uh, there were over 200 parents uh, that came in for the parent workshop that we sponsored. And uh, we got a few pictures, I think, of those, and we can uh, show those now. Here's a a picture, just kind of the gathering, and then we can just kind of keep running through those, Stevie. And there's, uh, there we are here in the sanctuary, and... um, Picture of Amy Crispin, who was our MC uh, for the evening, and then these are our two uh, speakers, uh, Dave Thomas and Sissy Goff, um, who uh, who each spoke. Sissy kind of focused on daughters, and um, so that was the part that I was awake for. And then when Dave was talking, I just kind of fell asleep. And then um, and then here is just some folks kind of gathering around. So it was a great opportunity, and not only um, uh, did we have over 200 parents here, but I would say probably at least half of them were not ZPCers um, who had come and who had heard about it. So um, it was a great, uh, a great, great day. I want to uh, say a special thank you to uh, Cherie Castle and to Lynn Stree, um, who kind of helped to volunteer and lead uh, much of that work. And so thank you to them, as well as um, on our staff, Amy Crispin and uh, Kristen Lair, who helped out with the child care and did a lot of work for that. So, but it was a great time. And um, now most of us know um, that we are horrible parents. So um, I'm just kidding. Uh, No, it was really, it was very helpful. um, And it was also just helpful to know um, that you're not alone. And, uh, and so I think that that's really important to remember as parents. So um, it was a great, great day. So we're here, we're at the very end of our look at the Sermon on the Mount. So, um, and we are ending here with chapter 7 in the Gospel of Matthew, verses 15 through 29. And so I invite you to hear these words from Matthew. Jesus concludes the sermon saying, Beware of false prophets. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evil doers. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his home or his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Now when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. Lord, I give you praise this morning for this opportunity, even on this dreary day, on a day when 
many of us are probably lacking some sleep. We are reminded, though, that you never slumber. That gives us great peace, God. For in you do we find our strength. In you are we built upon the rock. I pray, Lord, that you would be with us this morning, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. So yeah, over the last couple of months, we have been going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is, of course, Matthew. There's three chapters in Matthew. What are those three chapters? Five, six, and seven. Absolutely. Very good. So, um, and so what I want to do here before we end again, and I've already done this a couple times, I know, but I've come to discover that you have to keep repeating things and repeating things so that we remember what it is that we've been talking about. And so I want us to kind of quickly remember yet one more time, one last time, what exactly was happening at this point. Jesus' popularity was growing in the fourth chapter we hear, and, and, uh, and all of a sudden, rather than simply going and kind of continuing to garner more popularity in the big cities, Jesus, Matthew tells us, goes up on a mountain. And he goes up on a mountain with his disciples. And he goes up there in order to try and help to shape a community, right? Leslie Newbigin has that quote that says, Jesus didn't write a book, he formed a community. And so what he was wanting to do, of course, was to try to help to shape and form a community that was going to then be a glimpse of God's coming kingdom, right? We said the very first Sunday back in uh, January that we are supposed to be a prototype, if you will, of what God's coming kingdom will look like. So that when the world around us looks at us, they see what the kingdom of God is going to look like in the future. But Jesus does this not by beginning, by telling us all the things that we are supposed to do or what this is supposed to look like. He begins actually with the Beatitudes by saying, blessed are the, see you guys are good, you're remembering it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? In other words, blessed are those who realize that they cannot do this on their own. Blessed are those who realize that they are going to struggle. Because it is through them, through those that are humble enough to realize that, that the kingdom of God can truly come. And so after kind of talking about the fact that blessed are those who are poor in spirit, Jesus then begins to talk about the ways in which we can be the salt and the light. Jesus talks about the fact that we are supposed to not be a people who are resentful. That we are supposed to be a people who, who look at one another as God's creation, not as our own playthings. That we are supposed to be a people who are committed to marriage, who are committed to our word. That we are supposed to be a people who love our neighbors and our enemies, right? A people who are humble, a people who are not hypocritical, a people who are always praying for God's kingdom to come, a people who are thankful for the ways in which God has given us our daily bread, we are supposed to be a people who are aligned with Christ. And the more that we are aligned with Christ internally, the more that the light of Christ can then shone out from us in order to shine into those dark places. And as Scott and as uh, John did a great job of preaching over the last couple of weeks about the fact that we are not to give in to the anxieties of the world and that we are not called to be a people who are judging one another. 
And so it's through all that thinking about how Jesus is shaping this community in order to be a glimpse of God's coming kingdom that all of a sudden then we arrive at this particular passage, the very final passage. And here it seems to me what Jesus is doing, at least for the first half of this passage, is he is saying, okay, if we're going to be a kingdom like this, then we have to be, if we're going to be a community, I should say like this, then we have to be a community that has good leaders. We have to be a community that has good leaders who are helping us to really reflect God's coming kingdom. And so in many ways, what Jesus is doing here is he's addressing church leaders and their importance. Now, I'm a little bit reticent to talk about this too much. First of all, because it's a little bit self-serving, it seems to me, right? I mean, in other words, right, I mean, it's kind of like me saying, if you're wondering why it is that Scott and I are important, I'm about to tell you, okay? And that's not really what I want to do. And the other reason I'm a little bit reticent to kind of talk about the importance of church leaders, be they pastors or elders or any other kind of church leader, uh, is because of the fact that, that all too often, I think sometimes we make the, the, um, the mistake of thinking, well, our church leaders are doing it for us, right? And, and so it's important for us to realize that, that, that we are in this together and that the way for Christ's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven is for all of us to reflect the kingdom of God, not just some of us, right? Not just those who are leading, but for all of us. But all that said, in order for us to be a flourishing community, whatever, whether it's this church or another church, we need leaders who are going to help us in that. And I think that that's what Jesus is addressing in this first part of the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. So what does Jesus do? How does Jesus do this? Well, first of all, Jesus does this, I think, by trying to scare the rest of the community into realizing just how bad leaders can be. I mean, Jesus uses, you know, very remarkable, vivid imagery here. He says, beware of false prophets, beware of false leaders, right, who who are actually ravenous wolves, going around in sheep's clothing, right? That's not exactly a, a great depiction of a church leader. And so what Jesus is trying to say is he's saying, look, you need to be fully on guard. You need to be fully alert. And just because of the fact that someone is behind here in preaching or just because of the fact that someone may have been elected an elder doesn't mean that you just take whatever that person says as word, Leaders are very good, quite frankly, especially pastors, at knowing Scripture and knowing how to use it in order to deceive people. And so Jesus here is saying, look, you need to wake up and be alert as to what is happening. Because what Jesus is aware of is that broken leaders are oftentimes those who will pray, P-R-E-Y, upon his or her flock, upon the congregation. And as many of us know from experiences uh, at other churches or whatnot, you know that when a leader is broken and begins to pray for whatever that is on his or her flock, that those ramifications flow throughout the community. And that it's usually not just in that moment, but oftentimes for weeks, months, and years to come, sometimes even for eternity, those ramifications can be felt. 
Many of us, my guests know, those people who no longer go to a particular church or who, who have completely turned away from God because of the things that they have seen their leaders do. And it may sound kind of strange for me to say this as a pastor, but to be honest with you, I am oftentimes surprised at how congregation members look at their pastors. Sometimes I am amazed at how bedazzled they are. Now, I'm not saying you're bedazzled of me. I'm saying mostly of other pastors. How captivated they are by them. What Jesus wants you to know is that a wolf is a wolf. Whether he's lurking behind a bush, whether he's hidden among the sheep, or whether he's behind a pulpit with the Bible in his paws, that a wolf is still a wolf and that we need to be alert to make sure that the person who is leading us is not a, is not a wolf in simply sheep clothing. We need to be careful of how we are looking at our pastors, at how we are looking at our elders, to make sure that we are not making of them something they are not. Because as soon as we begin to do that, then we will be easily deceived. It's like a warning sign right there. And so, I don't mean to be so kind of, uh, so kind of brutally honest about this, but this is, this is the reality, that as soon as you begin to worship your pastor rather than God, then trouble is soon to follow. Amen? So what then should we be looking for? When it comes to thinking about a pastor, what should you be looking for to make sure that, that, that your pastor is not simply a wolf in sheep's clothing? Well, if Jesus was trying to scare the community at large, the congregation in the first part of the passage, I think Jesus is trying to scare those who would consider themselves to be church leaders in the second part. Because Jesus has this kind of horrible imagery, quite frankly, he says that there will be people who go and who come up to him at the end of time and Jesus will look at them and Jesus will say, I don't know you. And they will say to them, are you kidding me? What do you, what do you, what do you mean you don't know me? I, I was prophesying in your name. I, 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 was, I was casting out demons in your name. I was doing great deeds of power in your name. Or to put it in a vernacular, perhaps we would understand, I helped the church grow immensely in your name. I was leading a church that gave a lot of money to mission in your name. I preached remarkable sermons that helped people to come closer to you in your name. Jesus will say, you weren't doing the will of my father. I never knew you. Now, if uh, here's one good metric to know. If that doesn't scare a church leader, then you's probably a wolf in some way. Because that, quite frankly, should scare almost all of us who consider ourselves to be leaders in one way or another. Because oftentimes, it is exactly through those kinds of things 
through doing great deeds, through growing a church, through preaching good sermons, that oftentimes others will judge whether or not you are a good Christian or whether or not you are a good leader. And quite frankly, if I can be so honest, it is oftentimes what pastors will use to judge themselves on whether or not they are good leaders and whether or not they are good Christians. And it's important, of course, also to see that Jesus doesn't say those things are bad. Jesus never says it's bad to prophesy in my name. He never says it's not good to, uh, to do big deeds in my name. He, he never says, of course, it's bad to be a part of a church that's growing or it's bad to preach good sermons. But he does say that it is not enough. What Dale Bruner says is that leaders like this tend to, have cho- tend to choose the easy road. The road of power and prestige and the limelight. Whereas the will of God, following the will of God, is often much more simple and pedestrian and much less sensational. So what is the will of the Lord? Well, this is coming at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So what do you think the will of the Lord is that Jesus is thinking about? This is not a trick question. Everything that he has been talking about, right? Things like, are you living within the grace of Jesus? Are you you looking at people as as God's creation and not as something that you can control? Are you a, a person who is loving those who disagree with you? In other words, when it comes to assessing a church leader, probably the better way to do it beyond simply whether or not the church is doing well, beyond the fact of whether or not the person is preaching good sermons or whether or not they seem to be making good decisions as elders, beyond that perhaps, while all those things are good and right, is the simple question of asking what is this person like when nobody is looking? What is this person like in his, with, his, with his or her family? Any pastor who is honest will tell you that oftentimes it may be a different person behind closed doors than the sitting up on this pedestal. What is this person like? How is, how is he or she relating to their colleagues, to, those who, to, to staff, and perhaps even to those who disagree with him or her, to one's enemies, if you will? How is this person, does this person have any kind of humility about them? Or, or do they seem to think that they're pretty good all by themselves? Is this person living a life of generosity? Can you tell if this person's living a life of generosity or a life of hospitality? Perhaps more importantly, does this person realize that the only reason that he or she is a leader is by the grace of God and that this is not something that he has done for himself? All of these things, it seems to me, Jesus is saying, it is important for us all to look and to have honest questions. And I'll be honest with you, this is kind of weighty questions to ask. I would much prefer you to ask me about a sermon or about how I'm moderating a session than I would for you to ask, how am I doing at loving my neighbor or those people who disagree with me? I can assure you of this, if I have ever preached a good sermon, it was much less work than it is to try to be a good father or a good spouse or to love people who do not think in the same way that I do. 
So one of the things that we all have to ask as pastors and as leaders, one of the things that you have to ask is really to always be on guard to making sure that the person who is leading, the people who are leading, are people who are actively following what Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. Those things that are less sensational, less exciting, if you will. Just within the last few weeks, I had a ZPCer who came up to me and said, you know, one of the things I've noticed about you is in the stories that you tell, it always seems like it's Megan, typically, your wife, who is making sure that you are actually doing what you're talking about. That it's oftentimes Megan who is checking on me and saying, look, I know you're talking about these things. The question is, how are we, are we actually doing it? And I thank God. It's one of the reasons why I love the Sermon on the Mount and the commitment to marriage because I am committed to my marriage because I realize that if I did not have Megan there to check me, then I might be in trouble, quite frankly. And it's a reminder of how important the community is, brothers and sisters in Christ with one another, to make sure we aren't just talking about grace, but that we are actually living it out, to make sure we're not just talking about loving our neighbors while we're actually trying to hide from them, to make sure that we're not talking about generosity, and yet we're really holding on to everything we actually really want to. So Jesus keeps saying, look, I understand these things may not be all that exciting, but that the kingdom of God is going to erupt more than likely not out of one great sermon, more than likely not out of one great decision that a group of elders make, but is when the leadership and the community are actually and actively engaging in kingdom types of things each and every day. And that this is how God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Not through one exciting preacher, not through one exciting church, but through those little acts that we do each and every day of not being resentful, of not being anxious, of being generous, of not giving in to the temptations of money, of not being judgmental. That this is how God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. And it begins with making sure that your leaders are actually doing that. It's a part of the reason why I've asked our elders over the last, uh, in this next year to engage in five spiritual practices. These are not exciting spiritual practices. They are things like praying in the morning and at noon and in the evening. It's things like, like being generous and saying once a month, at least once a month, I'm going to do some kind of generous act for somebody else. It means once a month I'm going to be hospitable and invite somebody into my home or my heart that I wouldn't typically do. Now, I don't know. I, I, I talked to the elders about this two or three months ago. I don't know how they're feeling about it. Not too many of them have come up running and saying, this is the greatest idea ever. And I'll be honest with you, I don't even like the idea myself. But what I know it is, is that it is in these faithful acts that probably nobody will ever see in which we are beginning to live out the kingdom of God. I love how the Sermon on the Mount concludes. I don't know if you noticed this or not. Matthew tells us at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus goes up, he's very explicit, in order to teach the disciples. 
And yet here at the very end, all of a sudden, we're told that the crowds were astounded or amazed at his teaching. And the question is, well, where did they come from? I mean, Jesus was supposed to just be talking to the disciples, and now all of a sudden the crowds are there. And so there's a question. Did, did he just start teaching the disciples and then the crowds found him? Or, or perhaps, uh, perhaps he was just whispering to his disciples at first and then he got louder. Or, or maybe that happened over time. Who knows? But Matthew doesn't tell us. But what I think is even more significant than any of those questions being answered, because they're not that interesting, is this. That Matthew was trying to reveal to us the simple fact That when a community of faith, when a group of disciples, when a group of leaders are actually engaging in all of these tasks that Jesus has called us to in order to be the salt and the light, that as we are doing that, that the crowds around us, the world around us, the society around us will not be able to help but begin to notice. They will notice us not when the parking lot outside is all of a sudden full. They will notice us not when you meet somebody and say, hey, you got to come here, this, this preacher that we have. They will notice us. When long over long days of enduring time, they begin to see a group of people who are acting in strange ways, who are loving them even when they haven't been loved back, who are being generous even in a society of wealth, who are caring for those that nobody knows that they are caring for who are not judging them, but who are a people who clearly are underneath the grace of Jesus. Sisters and brothers in Christ, what Jesus is calling us to on the Sermon on the Mount is to be a reflection of God's kingdom. Don't wait to do something that is absolutely astounding or amazing or surprising in any grand way. But each and every day, be committed to these small acts that Jesus has given us here. And in so doing, I have a feeling not only will others be amazed, but we ourselves will be amazed at how God can work through this congregation in order to truly bring God's kingdom here. May it be so. Amen. And let's pray.